0: Money, mindset. Yeah, that sounds this is Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. Thank you so much for joining us. We aim to get more money into your pocket, more time into your day, and less stress in your life. So, welcome to season three of the podcast if you haven't done already please check out the previous two seasons as we we plan to give away a huge amount of value to improve your life so in season one we give away five money tips that every millennial should know but don't five mistakes investors make we talk about mental health money wealth and we talk about male role role models and my favorite episode of the season we talk bubbles what are financial bubbles and how can you avoid them we were joined by antoine allen who is an itv reporter and presents good morning britain on itv in season two we speak to authors startup founders and ted talk speakers so special thanks to all my guests in throughout the two seasons The guests really make the show, the podcast. So also thank you to all the five star reviews. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Please keep it up as it really helps me out. Please also keep up the likes and the followers and please tell one person about the podcast. So in season three, we aim to give away even more value if that's even possible. We are joined by money writers, influencers and money bloggers. And we have the world's only comedian and financial writer. We have a rock star in the world of personal finance. And we have TV Channel 5's money expert. So today we are lucky to be joined by Money Week's Dominic Frisby. So I've been a fan of Dominic for years now. And I'm yeah, so, so humbled and privileged that he's come on to our show. I've been a subscriber for Money Week for over 15 years. And... Huge, a huge fan of Dominic's writing. He was. We talk about a lot about Bitcoin in this podcast, and he was one of the first people that introduced me to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. He's been a, a writer and commentator about writing uh, about money and Bitcoin for for years now. He's been. He is the author. He actually wrote the book on Bitcoin. His book, Bitcoin: The Future of Money, is is available on amazon he also write wrote life after the state and we're going to talk a bit about his new book which is out now on amazon which is called daylight robbery the past present and the future of tax so this book was commissioned after his show let's talk about tax was a huge hit at the edinburgh comedy festival so he's a, he's a comedian, he's a writer, and he's also a musician. So stay right to the end of this episode as Dominic reveals all about his music single, 17 Million F-Offs. So please like, please subscribe, and please tell one person about this podcast, Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. So my name is Neil Doig. I'm the host of Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. I'm also the founder, CEO, and director of Money Tips, which stands for Tax Investment Property Pension Savings. And we are a coaching company and an ed tech company. So I'm also the creator of Football Formation Asset Allocation Card Game and the writer of the Financial Times shortlisted book, Millennial Money Mindset if you want the fruits you need the roots so let's get right into this episode as we plan to give away loads of value so thanks so much for joining us enjoy the show oh well, yeah originally we we're gonna um you were gonna speak at the Oxford Literary Festival but obviously for obvious reasons that's been cancelled but uh, so thanks yeah. for for joining us anyway Sorry. but um yeah so so I've been wanting to do a, a, a podcast on tax for a while I think it's really useful for the listener to um to hear it and understand it but it's always I've always worried it's always come as quite a dry and boring subject so of all the subjects you could have talked about why did you decide to write about tax?
1: Well my first two books were all about um, gold and money and um, the reason I wrote a book about tax is that I had written two books about um, money and a film I wrote a film called Four Horsemen a few years ago okay Ross Ashkoff that was very popular, and my argument is that if we're going to save the world, yeah, we needed to fix our system of money. Okay, and and you know we needed to go, and and that involved gold and maybe bitcoin, and so these are all things I wrote about it. Then. Yeah, and then I sort of moved on a little bit from that, and I sort of thought as important, if not more important, than our system of money is our system of tax. Yeah. I mean, the two are obviously closely related, and um, I'd written a, a, a read a book all about the history of tax by a chap called Charles Adams. Yeah. Fight, flight, or fraud. Okay, or interesting. In taxation, and one of the things he argued, and 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 it's an argument I agree with, is that there's never been a, a civilization without taxation of some kind. Yeah. And taxation goes, you know probably taxation predates civilization if you think of hunter gatherer tribes nomadic humans before we first settled there was probably this idea of a sense of duty to the greater collective sure we tend to think of taxes as something taken in money yeah but of course i think taxation probably even predates money okay and you know we would have tax would have been taken in labor yeah it would have been taken in um the share of your produce yeah Um you know I, I'm not even sure if slaves existed in 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 the hunter-gatherers yeah he's a predated civilization but certainly a certain amount of your labor would, would have been owed to your leaders or to the greater collective yeah you, um, choose to look at it and so and this has always been the case now of course um taxes today Tend to be taken in money. Yeah, you know, you work, and a certain amount of your labour is taken in. In is taken in taxes. Yeah, um, but that wasn't always the case. It was often taken. You know, if if you think of, um, you know, a totalitarian society where there's very low levels of, of, of freedom. You know, yeah. North Korea is the obvious one today. You know, workers don't own their labour. Yeah. Their labour is owned by somebody else. Their produce is owned by somebody else. Okay. And the same goes for. Slavery, in a way, is like 100% taxation. You don't own any of your own labor. Yeah. And then if you had a totally, you know, an anarchy where there's no leaders, no rulers, total freedom. Yeah. Um, then you you would own 100% of your own labor. You wouldn't have to give any of it to anyone else. Yeah. And or have, have it forcefully taken from you. So those are the two extremes. Yeah. And the sort of social democracies that we live in today is somewhere in the middle of those two yeah
2: so i for the listener at home i I was thinking you
1: are in the world yeah france's tax government government is a share of gdp in france is about 55 percent of gdp and so you know government is paid for by taxation in the uk it's probably about 40 45 something like that and in the us it's a bit lower more like just below 40%. 40%. It's yeah. actually higher if you include inflation, which is taxation without legislation, if you like. Yeah. It's, you know, your it's money is confiscated through the process of inflation, but excluding inflation. So for the listener at home, the, uh, so the most so of the time... Somewhere between
0: forty and fifty five percent of GDP. Yeah. So for the listener at home, the main type they're gonna be taxes when they, they open up their pay packet and they see a certain amount of income tax being taken it and obviously when they go and buy food at a shop for instance there's gonna be VAT that's gonna be taxed there. But I think taxes are good uh, well
1: at not not food, there's no VAT on food. Well, yeah, I know what you
0: yeah okay, okay, yeah. Um, or if they go and buy a TV, or uh, yeah, TV, there's going to be it's going to be taxed at twenty percent. Um But yes, yeah, so, but tax is a good thing, surely. So tax is going to be. Um, it's going to be used to keep the economy going it's going to be paid for schools if it's going to, you know for textbooks it's going to be used for hospitals if the the you know for buses and transport so it's used for it's tax is surely a good thing well
1: it, that depends it's not as simple to say tax is good or tax is bad yeah because there are good taxes and there are bad taxes
0: okay so what's a good tax different and what's a good what's a bad have, tax
1: well different people will have different opinion about what's a good tax so, for example, you could say VAT has yeah. been an incredibly successful tax. It was okay. invented by a Frenchman, um, I think, in either the 50s or the 60s. Yeah. And it's just proved so effective and so simple and easy to collect that now... Yeah. Something like over a hundred countries, I think. I can't remember the exact number, but I think over a hundred countries have VAT, yeah, in one form or other, yeah. And in China and in Russia, it's the government's largest, and I think in Chile, it's the government's largest source of revenue, yeah. So that's been a very effective tax, okay. From the point of view of the government, um, but I know businesses that operate at the margin, and if they didn't have to pay VAT, would be profitable, yeah. And but because of that, they're not profitable, and so they've gone bust, yeah. So they probably wouldn't have such a good opinion of VAT. Yeah. There's a lot of people who believe in things called progressive taxes, which is that the rich should pay more. Yeah. Uh, so what's your opinion on tax progressive tax? To your ability to pay. Well, you should be taxed according to your ability to pay. Yeah. And that is not progressive tax. Yeah. You know, if I'm buying this good and the poorest man in the world is buying this good and the richest man in the world is buying this good, we're all paying the same amount of tax on it. Yeah, that it's makes not sense. progressive taxation. So... That has encountered a lot of criticism for that reason. So, to answer your question, you know, income tax is another example. A lot of people who are of a, of a libertarian mindset yeah. would say, no, tax is theft. Yeah. You are taking this money forcefully without my agreeing on how it's spent. And I have very little say on how it's spent, by bar a, bar a vote of dubious impact every four or five years. Um, on the other hand, The the guy who, you know, the socialist will say, no, we all have to pay money into the collective. Then the next question is, well, how much, what what is the right amount to pay? in? 20% of what you earn, 30%, 50%, 80%? You know, there's different arguments. Yeah. Um, um, But from the point of view of the government, income tax has been a very successful tax because it now accounts for roughly 50% of government revenue worldwide. It's the biggest source of government in the world with the exceptions of some countries such as china and chile but on the whole income tax is the biggest source of government revenue worldwide and it's very easy to collect okay so that's why it's it, why income tax to some is seen as good but so whether tax is good or bad it's very much in the eye of the beholder there are some societies that have been incredibly successful yeah they tend to, in history and they tend to be low level taxes and then there are some societies that have imploded or there have been revolutions and riots, most revolutions and riots in history have been caused by injudicious taxation or economic inequality caused by some kind of injudicious taxation okay french revolution american revolution russian revolution they were all you know taxes at their heart in, in 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 one form or another. yeah so in your book so that was bad taxes so you know that's why i say you know, be careful
0: when you qualify as good or bad. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair. In your book, you talk about Hong Kong as being um, actually a low-level tax. It's been quite successful. Is so. Uh, so where do you, where would you you see your book title is about talking about in the past, but in the future? So you talk where where would you see or where would you think would be an improvement to in the UK would be a better way of taxing? Well, I, I
1: think we're taxed too heavily in the UK okay i think money should be left in people's pockets i think individuals decide on the whole how to spend their money better than governments do and the aggregation of lots of individual decisions will result in a better outcome than some you know government minister or some bureaucrat deciding where where your money is allocated yeah i used to do i did a show in edinburgh and i sh- i held up a pie chart in the show of how your money is your tax money is spent what percentage yeah allocated to what and i asked the audience how many of you agree with if you were spending this money yourself how many of you would allocate your money in this way and it was always less than five percent of the audience
0: yeah i know but the thing is tax is never popular unfortunately but there is there is an argument no, I'm that... not,
1: but i'm not talking about the amount i'm talking about how it's allocated okay but but so that you know the individual would spend his money differently to the to the uh you know, to how the the government minister decides. Yeah. Now, Hong Kong was an incredibly successful economy in the post-war era in the second half of the twentieth century. It was extraordinarily, you know, after the Second World War, its population was about six hundred thousand, and its per capita GDP was in line with, you know, a lot of Africa. It was an extraordinarily poor place, and within and it, within the um, generation and a half, it's. GDP per capita was one and a half times the size of the uk's. We, yeah. know, it's just extraordinary wealth creation, and its population went from six hundred thousand to like eight or nine million. Yeah, it's just extraordinary successful society. Now, on the one hand, it wasn't a democracy. Yeah, people couldn't vote. British were, the, were in charge, it was a it was a colony. yeah but on the other hand it had very high levels of economic freedom. The tax was never more than about fourteen percent of GDP. There was no income tax,
2: except yeah for
1: the very rich. And um, they had they tax land instead, which we barely tax at all in the U.K. So wh- where do you... it's extraordinarily successful growth? So it's a it's a good model. So... if if economic growth is your thing, and on the supply side, yeah, it has um, it's the healthiest nation in the world? It's one of the best educated nations in the world. It has the best transport system in the world. So it's not like its people lost out on the supply
0: side yeah so where do you stand on land value tax if you look at um all the kind of the classic e- economists from the past um adam smith etc they would argue that that's the best way of taxing people even if you look at kind of the modern um well milton freeman who's arguably quite right wing he would uh kind of set up the um, uh who You'd say, kind of, Margaret Thatcher and that kind of conservative government used a lot of his policies. He even said it's kind of the least worst tax. Where would a land, tax. or at least bad tax? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, where do you stand on land value tax rather than actually taxing income?
1: Well, I argue for land value tax in my, in my book, and okay. I argue that um, land value tax should replace income tax. What's probably going to happen is it will come in addition to income tax. But yeah. my argument is that it should replace income tax.
0: Okay. But... It's a
1: much fairer, more transparent system of tax. It makes it it makes what government is spending much clearer. And so the taxpayer is in a much better position to hold his government to account.
0: But how would it work? You would tax... I, I don't p- think... But how, how would it work? You would tax what
1: the... You would take all the land in the UK. Yeah. And you would... Work out who owns it. You'd have to get it all registered. I think even now today, something like fifty percent of land in the UK is unregistered. Yeah, <laughs> it's extraordinary. And you know, everyone, and then you assess the rental value of this land in its unimproved state. So yeah, we, the, the the idea goes back to the um, physiocrats. Um, in the 17th century, who argued that there are two forms of wealth? Yeah, there's the form of wealth that nature has given us, yeah, and there's the wealth you that is man made that you've created for you through your hard work and endeavor, yeah. And they argue that the wealth that's man made that's been created through your hard work and endeavor should be yours to keep,
0: but sure. The
1: wealth that nature has given us should be shared in the community,
0: okay. Interesting,
1: so that's the theory. So you assess land in its unimproved state, but land in city centers yeah. is obviously extremely valuable it has an extremely high rental value yeah you know the land on which harrods sits or selfridges or yeah. some you know expensive city building or land next to a station or something all has very high rental value yeah and it's the needs of the community that have given that land a high rental value so for example you know, your house might go up in value because the government's built a station nearby Yeah, commuters want to live in it, you want the house. That that's, hasn't happened because of anything that you've done it's happened because of the needs of the community.
0: Yeah, and the game of monopoly was actually... By the way,
1: I, one of the things that I say in the book is, yeah. that, is that the practicalities of implementing land value tax are so difficult that barring some kind of crisis, yeah. we're not going to see it. But just because we're not going to see it, that doesn't mean you shouldn't argue for it. Okay. Um, but anyway, so once you've assessed the re- rental value of land in its unimproved state, then the owners of the, that land, if they want ex- exclusive rights to it, in other words, they want the, the government and the police to protect their title to that property and the, and the legal system, yeah, then they have to pay a rent to the community for the exclusive occupation of that land. Yeah. Now, farmers always get horrified when you mention land value tax, because they have Lots of land. Sure, but it would barely impact farmland because farmland has a very low rental value. It would hit, it, the people it would hit most are those companies and corporations and rich individuals who own prime city centre real estate. Okay. And so it would hit you know the Duke of Westminster. Yeah. And the Queen and people like this who can yeah. afford it. And if they don't want to pay the tax, they simply sell the land on to someone who is prepared to pay the tax. So it. Incentivizes a much more efficient use of land.
0: Yeah, the game of Monopoly and was actually um, um, invented to prove how bad, um, uh, actually, well, to encourage land value tax. I think it's Henry George who talks about uh, about that, and it, it, the game was actually. Um, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: the the game was invented by a fan of Henry George. Yeah, that's was a right. of land value tax, and then and she used it to demonstrate the. Um, evils of the monopolistic land ownership system by which we currently operate and um but then it was actually somebody else actually plagiarized the game off the woman who'd invented it yeah and it was it was eventually sold and for a fortune but you know people use monopoly as an example of a demonstration of how bad the capitalist system is but really it's a demonstration of how bad a sort of crony, the crony capitalist system by which we operated. Yeah. Of monopolistic land ownership.
0: So I've invented a game called football formation asset allocation, um, and it's it's basically building a uh, portfolio, investing portfolio around a football team. And I use um, the UN goals to be um, to, to as a kind of aim to 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 go for, rather than um, it's almost like an anti-monopoly game is the kind of what I'm trying to, yeah. to trying to build. That sounds but, good. Ah, oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, so yes, yeah, available in shops in in, in Oxford. At, but yeah, it will be available shortly. But uh, yeah, no, fantastic about uh, the tax. It's kind of an, a great great overview. I mean, obviously, there's a difference between tax avoidance where people are uh, moving, trying to get away from tax they're, um, that they're try- they should be should be paying, and kind of tax planning where you can use an ISA etc. to try and kind of shelter some of your your tax. But um, and yeah. The title of your book, Daylight Robbery. Why, why is tax daylight robbery then?
1: Um, the, the, the book is called Daylight Robbery: How Tax Shaped Our Past and Will Change Our Future. Yeah. And the idea of the book is that you design a society by the way you tax it, and taxes shape the entire course of civilization. Okay, and it interesting. Will shape our future, and it's called Daylight Robbery because we get the expression Daylight Robbery after the Windows Tax. Yeah. Of. The window tax. Um, when they were debating whether they should abandon it, the legend has it that the MPs in Parliament cried out, "Daylight robbery."
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting.
1: So, interesting
0: times, and we can't we. We can't um, leave the podcast without mentioning your your hit single, Dominic. Eleven million. Um, yeah, I, I, I think majority of the listeners perhaps might be. Um, yeah, it's your single about Brexit. I think quite a few of the listeners perhaps would be. Um, um, yeah, remainers rather than um, leave, vote leave. But um, I remember when I was um, heard the news. I was at Glastonbury. Uh, yeah, and it was a bit of a devastation. But I. I, I know, um, yeah, T- tell me more about why you wrote that single and, um, yeah, how it, how you've gone on to promote it and, um, yeah, it's, to get to the... Where did you come in the hit that you, Was it number two? Or you, you got quite high up in the, the charts, Dominic. Where, tell me about that.
1: Okay, so I wrote the song in March of um, 2019 when we were supposed to uh, leave the EU the first time round and it got scuppered. Yeah. And the... The idea of the song was was that, you know, it was basically mocking Project Fear. Yeah. And all the things that people were told would happen if we voted to leave the European Union. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're going to... There's going to be a house price crash. There's going to be a case of super gonorrhea. The stock market's going to collapse. All these things yeah. would happen if you voted to, to leave the EU. And... Uh, it was basically uh, uh, the English people's answer to that song was one great big air for yeah, and um hopefully people who voted remain as well as people who voted leave can see the comedy of of the fact that you know no matter where you stand on the argument, it was one great yeah you
2: yeah
1: right? get- and uh and so I wrote it then and then um I just wrote it as a comedy song with my ukulele teacher, but it's just one of those things. I had to go viral, it touched a nerve. <laughs> no. And then I wrote another verse after the um, general election that Boris won. Yeah. And um, uh, then there was this campaign to get Ode to Joy. Okay. The EU national anthem or whatever you call it. It's not supposed to be a national anthem but whatever they want to call it. Yeah. Beethoven's Ode to Joy. There was this campaign to get that to number one. For January the 31st for the day we left the European Union
0: okay and interesting. Then somebody
1: else started this campaign to get my song to number one
0: <laughs> how far <laughs> did you get up the charts out of interest did you
1: yeah well, I, I, joy was number one in downloads Wow okay downloads. but the way the charts work is that yeah. the overall charts they're so owned by the record industry yeah Ode to Joy was only actually got to number thirty, despite being number one in downloads, and I got to number forty-three. Okay, (laughs) I didn't even make the top forty. Ah, was
0: still to be in the yeah. So it was a
1: bit of of a disappointment in the end, but it was
0: funny. Ah, great. I think if if you can if we can get any um, kind of positive from the this whole virus um, and all the calamity that's going on. Everyone's kind of coming together. I think Brexit's been off the the, the radar for quite a while, which is yeah, it's um, just
1: like history now. But the great now the big dog, the big divider is whether you how bad you think coronavirus is. So how how bad do you think the, it's going to get? The, or,
0: or how from, the an economic, e- from an economic from an economic point of view, do you think we're heading for? That way? Do you think because we're the, heading
1: for a, um d- things that people said would happen yeah. if we voted to leave the European Union? You know there'll be a cost of four thousand three hundred pounds to your home. There'll yeah, be an outbreak of super gonorrhoea. There'll be a stock market collapse. Yeah, you're going to lose your job. All these things have happened. Yeah, but not because we voted to leave the European Union. Yeah, the way that the government has reacted to the coronavirus, all these things have happened.
0: So where do you think we're heading um, and, uh, from an economics it's point of view?
1: Tremendously sad and tremendously ironic, um, but. They all happened, but not for the reasons that yeah. supposed
0: to happen. So, where do you think we're, where do you think we're heading to economically now? This podcast episode was sponsored by the book Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. What is the price of education? University fees now cost nine thousand pounds. Navigating the minefield of investing, avoiding costly errors may cost you thousands of pounds a times report revealed the cost of financial advice would cost you hundreds of thousands of pounds over 20 years just to top up a lifetime allowance on your pension millennial money mindset if you want the fruits you need the roots empowers you to make your own investing decisions it aims to put money into your pocket time back into your day and remove stress from your life all for under £10. Millennial Money Mindset, if you want the fruit, you need the root, is now available on Amazon in print, Kindle or Audible versions. It was shortlisted by the Financial Times in 2018 and it aims to be the best investment you make this decade. Get your copy today. This has been Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. My name's Neil Doig. So we find out the answer to the question we posed on where the economy is heading in the second part of this two-part episode where Dominic Frisbee gives his, gives his money tips on where we are heading financially in this economy. He also gives two areas where you can invest for during a recession. Plus, We talk about Bitcoin, which has been one of the most popular topics on this podcast. So it's great to hear from the person who actually wrote the book on Bitcoin. So thank you so much for Dominic for the interview. Thank you you at home, the listener who is listening to this podcast. And also thank you for everyone who's liked, subscribed and told one person about this podcast. Please continue to do this. Please like, please subscribe, and please tell one person about Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. Money. Mindset.